Good morning, church. Good to see you all here this morning. As we begin our sermon time once again this morning, let me encourage you to join me in turning to the book of Acts. Continuing our series looking at the book of Acts, we come to chapter 11. And as we come to this chapter, if you were here, especially if you were here with us last time, you may notice that much of what you're reading here this morning is going to sound very familiar. In fact, most of this passage is just Peter retelling the events of, of chapter 10 in his own words. And I'll tell you, that makes this kind of, it was a tough working on this sermon this week because, I mean, every, every verse I went just about was like, okay, we already talked about that, we already talked about that, we already talked about that. Um, but yeah, but as you dig a little deeper, I think, into this passage, I think that actually what we see happening here at the beginning of Acts 11 is actually a very important moment in the life of the church, and it's also a very important lesson for us as we continue to be the church. Because this passage is really getting into the motivations and the reasons behind Peter did what Peter did back in chapter 10. And that means it doesn't just speak about the events that took place, but it speaks to the purpose of those events, the purpose of actually being the church. And purpose is not something we should easily overlook. And if you want to follow along with me as I read, uh, we're going to begin in Acts 11, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read all the way to verse 18 this morning. And it says there, Acts 11, verse 1, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered me a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa, bring Simon who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household." As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John, baptize with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I, should stand, that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. 
Lord God, just pray that you would be with us once again in really a very special way this morning. Lord, as we talk about the church, as we talk about our purpose, as we talk about the things to which you have called us as your people, Lord, I pray that, that these would be words that are heard, uh, words that we, we take hold of in our hearts and that we live out in our lives. And Lord, to do that, we need you. We need your Holy Spirit to empower us. And Lord, we need you to open our ears and open our eyes and sometimes even to change our hearts a little bit as we make that mission our own. So Lord, we would ask that you would be free this morning to speak to us. That Lord, you would prepare our hearts to hear the words you would have us hear and to accept the mission that you have called us to as your people. Be with us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, I heard a story about a certain man whose neighbors called Mr. Wallstrom. Uh, and Mr. Wallstrom was just one of those people who had just a curious mind. He was always tinkering with things. He loved to know how things worked, what made them tink, tick, sort of thing. So it was no surprise to his neighbors when he purchased an old bomb site and placed it in his yard and began to take it apart. And if you don't know what a bomb site is, neither did I. I had to look it up. It's just kind of a contraption. It's a hunk of metal and steel and gears that old bomber planes used to use to help them drop bombs on their targets. Well, he took it apart and looked at it and all that stuff. And then as Mr. Wallstrom began to put this bomb site back together, just kind of on a whim, he decided, I'm going you know, to add a few spare parts that I have lying around here from other projects. And he did. And over time, his friends and his neighbors also began to take an interest. In fact, you know, they too started bringing him some old spare parts and pieces, which he also began incorporating into this contraption that he was now building. And it continued to, to the point where over about 10 years, Mr. Wallstrom added to his machine, hundreds of wheels and cogs and belts and whistles and gears and, you know, all kinds of things until the whole thing kind of, it became a marvel to behold. Mr. Wallstrom would throw a switch and all of a sudden thousands of parts would begin to move and, you know, wheels turned and lights flashed and bells rang and belts whirred. And the device became known as Wallstrom's Wonder. And it was something to behold. The only thing is that it didn't do anything. I mean, it moved and it blinked and it made noise and it went through its motions, but it had no real purpose other than its own activity. And this morning, I suppose the sermon I'm about to preach comes as a bit of a warning. Seems that if we're not careful as a church, the same thing can happen to us. You know, churches can become a place where there's a lot of activity, a lot of busyness, a lot of noise, a lot of action. But amidst, in the midst of all of that stuff happening, there are times that many might wonder, well, what is the purpose of what we're doing? We might even ask ourselves the question of, why are we doing the things that we're doing? Is it simply because we've always done them? Or are we just trying to look busy? Are we just trying to keep the lights blinking and the wheels turning in the big church machine? Or is there something deeper going on? Because that is a question that every church needs to ask itself. 
And that's the question that the church in Jerusalem was forced to wrestle with in our passage as well. Because this moment in Acts chapter 11 really reveals to us, this is a church at a crossroads. This is a place where the church is almost divided. It's a place where the church really has a choice to make about the kind of church they're going to be. And it's one of the biggest decisions they're ever going to face. Because up until this time, for the most part, the early church in Jerusalem, I guess you could say it kind of hit its stride. You know, they'd seen a good measure of success. Today we might compare it to a church where every week, you know, it's standing room only, the offering plates are full, there's programs to meet every need of every person in the family. You know, things had just become very neat, very tidy, very predictable. It was, it was comfortable. The machinery of that early church was just humming along perfectly. And people were happy. But then along comes Peter. And Peter, in one single act, he throws a wrench into the whole works by doing something no one could have expected, something no one could have even imagined it was something so crazy, so bold, so sort of out of left field that it left the church literally with an identity crisis. Because as we heard last week, what Peter did was Peter went and he told a group of Gentiles how to be saved. And then he baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you missed our sermon last week, some of you may be thinking, well, what's the big deal about that? So let me try to explain what's happening here. Because, you know, in our world today, we still have racism, we still have sexism, we have all the other isms in our world. But I don't think we can really appreciate culturally what it would have been like 2,000 years ago. Because 2,000 years ago, at the time Peter was, you know, in the church, racism was not only tolerated, it was encouraged. Jewish people hated the Gentiles. And hating Gentiles was just something that was seen as the right thing to do. You did it. Your friends did it. You taught your kids to do it. Hatred was the norm. And to be fair, the Gentiles hated the Jews right back. So there was this wall of hatred between Jews and Gentiles. And it had been there. That hatred had been there for so long. People were just used to it always being that way. They didn't see hatred as something weird or as something that was even wrong. Hating those people was just the way it was. In fact, you could even say it had been that way for so long, the people just assumed that even God was on board with it. That this was God's will. Hatred had become so normalized that they spiritualized it. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that There were those in the church who were uncomfortable when they heard about Peter and what he did as he invites Gentiles into the church. And they demand an explanation of what's going on. And that's what we see in our passage. Acts 11, beginning in verse one. It says, now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, 
saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. I'm just going to stop there because I don't want you to miss something here. And it's important. And I'm actually, maybe I'll just paint a picture for you of, of what I'm thinking. Because have you ever gone to a movie with a friend? And say it's a science fiction movie. And in this movie, there's all kinds, of, you know, there's time travel and there's ray guns and there's aliens and there's battles and there's explosions and spaceships going the speed of light. You know, all kinds of fantastical, unbelievable things are happening in this, mo in this movie. And then in this movie, there's this one scene where one of the characters is called to do something heroic, like just like lift the front of a car off someone who's pinned. And in that moment, your friend leans over and whispers, that couldn't happen. And you think to yourself, really? Like, there are aliens, and there's time travel, and there's spaceships, and lifting the car is the thing you just found the most unbelievable. That's the thing in this movie you think that couldn't happen. Like, that's what you have a problem with. Well, in our passage this morning, that friend is the Jerusalem church. Because look at this. News gets back to the church about what happened to Peter in chapter 10. And keep in mind, there were heavenly visions, a visitation of an angel, the voice of God speaks, Gentiles are saved, people are baptized, the Holy Spirit falls on people and they're speaking in tongues. And the Jerusalem church says to Peter, Peter, did we hear this right? Did you really eat at a Gentile's house? Like all of that other stuff is going on and that is what they take issue with. The kingdom of God is exploding in power and they're worried about Peter's seating plan for supper. So here it again, the main issue these people raise, it's not about the proclamation of salvation. It's not about the Holy Spirit being given to the Gentiles. It's not about the baptism that Peter did in Jesus' name. No, the people opposing Peter were most upset because he went to a Gentile's house and he ate food. Peter's crime in their eyes is that he broke the rule that says good Christians don't hang out with people like that. And talk about missing the point. Because these people, and this is the point, these people were more concerned about what Peter did than what God was doing. And just out of curiosity, do you know how many passages in the Bible actually say Jews can't eat with Gentiles? It's zero. It's just not there. So why were these people so upset? Well, it's because Peter broke one of their traditions. They were upset that Peter was rocking the boat of the church that they'd grown comfortable in. They were upset that Peter was just throwing a wrench into the cogs of their wondrous church machine that was running so smoothly up until then. And make no mistake, they were upset. Uh, verse 2, when it, when it says they criticized Peter, some translations say they took issue with him. The tense of that verb in the Greek there implies that this was something that happened over and over again to Peter. Like, it's almost like there's this lineup of people who are constantly just pulling Peter inside, one after another after another, and they're giving Peter grief. I don't know why, but sometimes I picture it in my head with Peter, you know, it's like a cop drama. Peter's sitting at a table in a small locked room, and there's a two-way mirror. James and John come in playing good apostle, bad apostle. And they're like, Peter, you know what you did. 
we can't fix this for you if you don't get with the program. You know, Peter, people aren't going to be happy with this when they hear about it. They're, they're, some are probably going to leave the church over this. I mean, we barely kept it together when the Samaritans were saved, but the Gentiles, too much. Like, Peter, we had a good thing going here. Seriously, what were you thinking? We need an answer. We need to know, Peter, why'd you do it? But Peter's response to all of those questions that people were asking is one we need to hear. And it's an answer that really cuts to the heart of the matter. It's a, it cuts to the very purpose the church was founded upon. Because Peter basically tells them, you guys, you guys are all worked up and focused on what I did. But what you need to see and what you've overlooked in this situation is what God has done. And that's what Peter tells him. He begins at verse four, but Peter began. And he explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in the trance I saw a vision. Something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter and he will declare to you by a message by which you will be saved, you and your whole household. So Peter tells them. He tells them about the vision that he had, you know, that sheet that came down from heaven with all the animals. He tells them about the voice of God that spoke to him with that message, what God has called clean, do not call common. He tells them about the man that God himself, the men that God himself told him to accompany. And he told them that God wasn't just at work on Peter's side, but how God had sent an angel to Cornelius and spoken to him and prepared his heart for the gospel and gave him the promise that Peter would preach salvation, not just to him, but to his whole household. And then Peter says again, continuing in verse 15, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John, baptize with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then, God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And with that, Peter, he rests his case. Peter's real defense here was this, it's not something I did. This is something God did. This was God at work. And if God is ready to welcome and accept and save and sanctify Gentiles, Peter asked the question, as a church, why aren't you? And I think ironically, if you'd asked Peter that question a month earlier, he probably would have agreed with the others that Gentiles had no place in the church. 
But God changed his heart. God opened his eyes. And I do think that part of how God did that is found for us in verse 16, where Peter says, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And that's actually new information for us here. We weren't told that that was Peter's thought back in, in chapter 10. Because Peter tells us that while all of this was happening among the Gentiles, he actually remembered something. Something important. He remembered the words of the Lord. He remembered words spoken by Jesus himself. And Jesus says those words that Peter remembered back in Acts chapter one. And I wanna read them to you in context. Because it begins in Acts one verse five where Jesus says, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Lord has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see those words that Peter remembered were some of the last words that Jesus gave to his followers. And they were words of mission. They were the marching orders that Jesus was giving to his church. They were words of purpose. Because Jesus was telling his followers, it is not the time to settle down and get comfortable. It's time for you to get out there and share your faith and offer salvation to everyone who you can. Because God wants the gospel. God wants the news about Jesus Christ to spread to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what God was doing as he worked among the Gentiles through Peter. And yet, by their reaction, it almost seems like the church in the book of Acts is shocked and upset that God was actually doing what God said he would do. And that's the perspective that, Jesus, uh, that Peter brings to this discussion. And again, as a church, we need to hear this. Because we can't let our prejudice, we can't let our perceptions, we can't let our preferences interfere with our purpose. Or we become part of the problem. Because that's still the purpose of the church. The church is called and always has been called to lead people to Jesus. The reason we exist is to tell people about a God who loves them so much that he sent his son to earth to die for them on the cross for their sins. And Jesus wants us to reach people with that news. He wants us to comfort and care for people. He wants us to baptize people. He wants the church to help people grow to maturity. He wants us to answer our phones. It's okay. <laughs> he wants us to teach people the Bible. He wants us to show people how to pray. He wants us to be people of prayer. He wants us to be a church that makes a difference in this world by making disciples of all people. And that's not just people we like. It's not just people we feel comfortable around. It's not just people who are convenient. We are to take the gospel to every corner of our society and to the very ends of the earth. 
We're to go out of our way, go the extra mile to let people, all people, know. Because that is what God is still doing right here and right now in our world every day. And the only question that matters to us as a church and as followers of Jesus is whether or not we're willing to join him. And Peter wasn't about to let the church forget that. Peter says, guys, this is God's heart. This is God's mission. This is God's doing. And you can either choose to work with him or you're just gonna be in the way. And you know, when you begin to understand church from that perspective, it's so freeing. You know, when you clearly see the purpose God has for us to save people from their sins, to offer themselves, you know what? When you see that, you're not so worried about the color of the carpets or the way that people dress or, or where they come from or what their past is. Suddenly, you're just thankful that God is a God of grace. And suddenly, salvation becomes the thing that we truly celebrate. And look at verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. It took them a little while, but the church in Jerusalem finally got it. The message, it sunk in. Of course, there's a lot of history there. It's not gonna be the first time that this issue's come up and there's gonna be tension. It's gonna raise its head again and again. But for now, the church would make sure that they met any opposition that arose with grace. And they would go forward with just a renewed determination to reach people, all people, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the church remembered its true purpose. And as we close, I just want to give you two quick lessons uh, to take home with us as we, you know, that come from our passage. Two lessons, I think, that make a difference in finding our purpose and living our purpose as a church. And the first lesson is simply this, that all people matter and God desires all people to be saved. You know, one of the hardest things for a church to, grow, to do is grow. The hardest things to do as a church is to welcome new people into our midst. Because so often those new people, they look different. They, they sound different. They might talk different. They, they don't know all the rules that we, we like to live by. You know, Maybe they sit in our seat on a Sunday morning. Maybe they take our spot in the parking lot. It could be uncomfortable to have new people around. But how do we overcome that? Well, we remember that those people are loved by God. We remember those people are matter. We remember those people are the reason that we're the church. And I love the words of Bill Heibel uh, when he writes these words. He says, you will never lock eyes with someone who doesn't matter to God. Every time you make eye contact with a cab driver, a waiter, a waitress, a bellhop, a doorman, a millionaire jet setter, a Gen X or a grandparent in a rest home, a minority person, a gay or a lesbian, an illegal immigrant, a convicted criminal, a politician who votes the opposite way you vote, every single person you lock eyes with matters to God. You'll never speak on the phone with a person who isn't the reason that Jesus came to die. You'll never pass a person on the street that would not warrant an all-out search and that the Father doesn't want back home. They 
are one prayer away from receiving Jesus Christ's salvation as you have. And they deserve my respect, they deserve my honor, and they deserve my love. Everyone matters, everyone is valuable, everyone is precious in God's sight. Even in our world, even those we consider least of these are loved by God and they deserve our respect. Everyone matters and we need to love them. Which brings me to the final thought I want to leave you with this morning. That's just that holding tight to our purpose as a church, it matters. We need to keep that mission alive as our very first priority. Because as a church, a church that loves the unloved and shares the gospel is a church that is making an eternal difference in our world today. And I hate to double up, but let me read again from Bill Hybels, who says this. He says, I believe that only one power exists on this sorry planet that can transform the human heart. It's the power of the love of Jesus Christ, the love that conquers sin and wipes out shame and heals wounds and reconciles enemies and patches broken dreams and ultimately changes the world one life at a time. Then he says, what grips my heart every day is the knowledge of that radical message that transforming love has been given to the church. And that means in a very real way, the future of the world rests in the hands of local congregations like yours and mine. It's the church or it's lights out. He says, and I believe that there's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in context of community. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources to those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addiction. It frees the oppressed. It offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. And still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church and nothing even comes close. And there's times I think when we can forget that. There's times when I think as a church we can lose sight about, of, of what it's all about. Times when we're just sort of caught up in the activity of what we're doing. But forget the purpose behind it all. But we're not called to be the church just to run programs. We're not the church just to, so we can hold on to our traditions. We're not here just to keep the lights on and the wheels turning. We are here to save the lost and transform lives by sharing the good news of salvation of Jesus Christ. And as we come to the communion table again this morning, I think that's an opportunity for us just to reflect on our own salvation. I think it's a reminder to us that once we were all still lost in sin until Jesus himself died on the cross for our sins to offer us forgiveness and salvation. And how we have now experienced the grace of God and the grace of Jesus through Jesus Christ in our lives firsthand. We have now tasted of the Lord's goodness. And what a privilege it should be for us to be able to to be given the honor of sharing that goodness, that good news with others. To be able to offer people the same hope and the same joy and the same peace and the same purpose that we ourselves have now taken hold of. So as we come to this table, I would ask that you would 
Just take a moment to reflect on what it means. Reflect on the body of Jesus broken on the cross. Reflect on the blood of Jesus shed for us so that we could know forgiveness and grace. And remember that we now have the opportunity to share that truth. Invite others to come and experience that grace for themselves. Because we have been given a purpose as the church to preach the good news and share that with all people. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come once again to your, your table this morning, may we just reflect on the grace that it represents. Reflect on, its, on the goodness of it and the mercy that has been offered to us. That Reflect on the truth that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us to offer us forgiveness and offer us a place of belonging. And Lord, as we think about that truth, we should realize that that is news that is too good to keep to ourselves. And Lord, I pray that our church would be a church that proclaims that. That our church would be a place that is accepting and loving and comforting people and welcoming people, even people who are different, even the marginalized. But even more than that, Lord, we would, that we would be a church that shares the good news of Jesus Christ, that we would offer them the words of life, that they too might experience salvation and the repentance that leads to life. Lord, we ask that, Lord, as we come to this table once again this morning, that you would overwhelm us with your grace. And that, Lord, you would open our eyes and open our hearts to be willing to share that grace and that good news with the people in our lives all around us, reminding us that that is our true purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.